0: Shalom, Jim.
1: Shalom, Rabbi. How are you doing, sir? I'm so happy to see you. You survived
0: the hog. Uh, Passover festivals was one of the highlights of the year. You bet. Um, Of course, it's not the same as making the pilgrimage to the Holy Temple, which we hope to be doing uh, at one point as soon as possible, but still there is the whole blessing that the festival brings, the special aura of light that descends upon the world during the sacred seasons of Hashem, and it was very beautiful. Uh, of course, uh, we're still going through all of the turmoil that we're going through here in Israel. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the, the festival was, uh, was um, rather muted by a number of terrible terror incidents. But you know what? When you look at the whole picture, it's so bizarre. It's so absolutely bizarre. Everything that's going on, not only in Israel, but in the, in the world as well, That a person, I think, has to admit that that there's no explanation other than the fact that it's on fast forward, that Hashem is... And I've been speaking for years about this. It seems to me that Hashem is is making people... Um, take a stand you know that there's this this kind of like a sifting going on a separation of people having to stand up for what they believe in or for what they don't believe in you know because yeah. the choice is each person's but i just think that the whole thing towards the redemption is so accelerated right now because there's no possible human logical explanation for the the absolute lunacy and the absolute utter um you know um kind of like um breaking apart of of so of so much uh, that we have ever held on to in terms of society it's it's just all hitting the fan yeah. as it were and
1: that's what that's what as that they say torah, on, as they say in arkansas yeah that's what torah really did for me because uh, i finally came to a place where you know that was the answer for me when i saw that the, and even especially i'm sure our our audience can can relate is when we are in a position uh, as we are today in in uh, government and and uh the everything when when you this is what gives me peace is to is to know that when there is no explanation the only explanation is that Hashem is right behind the veil Hashem is 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 moving the the, the uh experiences around so that and, and what's funny about it is that it's it's all for our good isn't it it's so that we will grow, and that we will change. Absolutely,
0: creation is for our good. The whole concept of of, of uh, the, the the Odyssey of man is all for our good, and that's why Hashem created the world. But again, you know, the, the question that that people are so plagued by is, you know, why, why does Hashem do evil or create evil or allow evil to exist? But it's not from him. Mm-hmm. It's a question of man's choice. And and if man did not have free choice, then he would not be able to. Accomplish his whole task in this world, which is to, to find God in the concealment, and so and so that's why free choice is uh, embedded in the very fabric of creation, and and people can run with it in any direction that they want. And and um, I was speaking some, with some friends recently about the beauty of this concept that our sages tell us that it's like if a person wants to wants to become closer to Hashem, if a person wants to purify and advanced spiritually then hashem pulls the person in that direction you know and chazal our sages say that in the way that a person wants to go he is led Mm -hmm. and also when a person wants to get closer to hashem and become more spiritually sensitive then he receives divine aid but on the contrary as well the the other flip side of it is that when a person makes a decision that they want to be bad you know and hashem says Okay, yeah. I'll open that door for you, and you, you go that way. It's not me, I'm not pushing you, but that's the way you want to go. It's, again, the bottom line of Torah always is ultimate responsibility that every person has to take for themselves. Yeah. But you and I, over the course of the, the, the Torah readings throughout the years, you know, we, we talk about all the institutionalized evil that was rampant in various societies. You know, We talk about the generation of the flood, we talk about the generation of Sodom and the and the and the state-sponsored kind of like uh, um, uh, in those days it, that was their version of woke, you know, mm-hmm. and then of course everything that happened in Egypt, but all of the things that we that we study about in, in a way they are um, not only parallel but in some ways they are they are. Um, i guess uh, more severe in in our generation some of the things that are going on in society today yeah yeah and i
1: i was uh uh very interested in the uh uh the aspect of the beginning of the, of this week's torah parsha you know, and of course we have the double to- uh uh torah parsha taszriarah and the um you know the the unfortunate things that that happens e- even today is is uh, Judaism is being demonized by by people who who really are selfish and and uh, be, have become very narcissistic. They they want to all they want to demonize the language of the Torah and and this week's parsha uh, because they are uninformed and they don't understand or never study the Torah. They often take the words uh, speaking about the state of a woman who is uh, who has become unclean, and, and it occurred to me that uh, the the actual word uh, unclean is is it comes from the state of uh, tumah, and, uh, and and then the state of it being is tameh, and I was reading uh, Rabbi Samson Hirsch's commentary. And it was fascinating that he said that the the one of the meanings of the word, uh, tuma is to be in the tomb. And I thought, wow, I wonder if that's the word where the word tomb came from. And and it uh, it even sounded like because what woman what a woman goes through when she gives birth and 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 loses that life essence in her. She is almost like she's getting near death. She she has to re- recover from it, and what what occurred to me. I'm talking
0: about language, believe it or not, and how we use and words. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but and the, and therefore because of that. The, to, the state of, of, of Tameh, mm-hmm. which is, it's such a mistake to call it un, um, un, unpure, uh, impure or mm-hmm. unclean. It's got nothing to do with cleanliness. No. It's got to do with, a, with a uh, clearly, with a terrible spiritual trauma yeah. that she's but been through. And all the Tuma mm-hmm. in the Torah, like last week's Torah portion, talking about the unclean animals. Right, right. If you eat them, they bring you into a state of spiritual crisis. Right because they affect your life force and they cloud the mind that's what i spoke about last week in the in the parsha and they yeah. and they literally dull the senses so when we approach these things we're we're coming from a, a, like a twisted kind of like a perverted mindset because of our western upbringing and because of our association and because of the fact that the narrative has been kidnapped yeah. by other people right and they've translated the bible and they've taught these concepts and so they've kidnapped you know the spirit of the Old Testament and that kind of thing, and it's got nothing to do. We need a completely different set of eyes yeah. to understand what this is really all about. The same thing with the offerings. Yeah.
1: Well, the the, the thing that was striking to me is that, for instance, uh, when we're speaking about gold, there's different types of gold. And one of the golds, one type of gold, uh, the 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 gold that was used in the in the Kippurit of the Ark of the Covenant, that gold is called zahav, tahor. It's pure gold is the way it's translated. And the reason it's called that is because it's been refined and there's no there's no, there's no, no dross in it. The, the gold is completely and wholly gold. And really, that's what I love about that because really uh, Tahor, which is the woman is restored to a state of Tahor. So that means she has recovered spiritually and, and, and physically from this and she's become whole again. And it occurred to me that that the the language the word itself translated into English the translation is actually tame. The translation into English is tamay because it is a mixture of misunderstandings. When you say a woman is unclean, you're using language that is that is essentially not whole. It has dross in it. It has misunderstandings in what it conveys. And I just thought that was remarkable when you look at it in that not light. A, I love
0: what you're saying. And the irony of all, it's, it's so ironic, Jim, because these Parshiot in particular that we're about to discuss today, yeah. this double reading. It's, it's always together in years, usually together in years that are not a leap year like this one. also next week's. These Torah portions and the whole book of Leviticus, mm-hmm. it's like some sort of a divine manual in human sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. Becoming more sensitive to our own divine image, to each other, to you know, to cherish relationships, and so to take that whole idea and to twist it into something anti-woman, or you know, it's it's so misplaced, and it's it's just it's an evil agenda. Yeah, Jim. it's and, an evil agenda. The, because the, I thought
1: it was, I also thought it was remarkable that the uh, the speaking of the idea of of a woman being restored to wholeness and 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 leaving behind. Uh, the, some of the things that that uh, uh, that cloud her judgment, or that she's not wholly recovered. It, I thought that was very much a description of uh, the counting of the Omer, which is the the journey of of Israel. One one of the aspects of it is the journey of the people of Israel out of slavery, out of being enslaved mentally also, and their thinking was clouded, and their thinking
0: was uh they were not whole well, they, people. they were their 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 ability to receive hashem's light was blocked right right which yeah, is what
1: which is the state of being tamay that's also you're blocked this is right. what right which, which you, to you s- and
0: i should can, we should only de- allow ourselves because we know that we understand we, we should allow ourselves only to define it as a, a spiritual imbalance and the reason you know just to cut to the chase that you know when people read the beginning of chapter 12 in Leviticus and they read that this the state of her imbalance having given birth to a female is longer mm-hmm. than the state right. of her imbalance having given birth to a male so the so the knee-jerk reaction of the, of the critics is going to be that oh the torah is chauvinistic it's anti-woman oh she's impure she's unclean because she gave birth to a girl longer than she would be yeah. if she gave birth to a boy whereas the deepest secret of what this is all about is that the female is a higher soul right <laughs> the female is a higher the soul also her greater. loss is greater her sense of her, her sense yeah. of, uh, of 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 being just like a totally out of kilter in this forlorn state, that she lost the, the light of this soul that she was carrying all of those months, is greater, and so until and, and, and so she won't be ready to go back to the temple, which is the place of eternal life, and she won't be ready to 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 uh, kind of like put her relationship with Hashem back on track until she's able to get over that whole. Uh, experience that she's been through, and we're carrying on this theme that began in the last Torah
1: parsha. We're we're continuing it in this parsha. This double parsha of purity, of of refinement, of of cleansing ourselves. Not only uh, where we can we can be effective as as a physical being, but uh, now we're talking. Now we're getting into the idea of of speech that is pure, and. And the power of of a, of a pure tongue, of so
0: exactly that's the that's the main topic. Uh, something unusual is going to happen in these two Torah portions, which is that that topic is actually r- the thread that's running through both portions. But in a very kind of um, uh, it's a backstory, and I'll explain what we mean about that. But bef- before before that, I just want to comment on something that you said that was so beautiful. How this concept of the you know the imbalance is is so uh, apropos for the days that we're in right now of the counting of the Omer, which also um, we are trying to rectify through our speech as well, mm-hmm. and through our and through our uh, being in the moment, our presence of mind, our mindfulness. But the thing is, you know, every season of the year has a different what I would call avodah, which means the divine it's service. service yeah. We're always serving Hashem in everything that we do. Right, And everything that we do, it's part of serving Hashem, that's what, that's what we're in the world for. And uh, makeup of the calendar is such that, there, that we go through these different experiences and it's all part of our, our constant realignment, you know? So, so we are now a reflection of, a microcosm of, but yet, a, but yet the story of our forefathers going out from Egypt is happening now. So we left Egypt, right? We left Egypt. And everybody knows that when we left Egypt, it was with tremendous uh, uh, compassion of Hashem at the nick of time. Yeah. Right? We got to a point that was so bad in Egypt that and the influence of the idolatry was so terrible. And so we got out in the nick of time. And he took us out, like, in uh, this unbelievable light, the, 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 the uh, outstretched arm, right? And um, it was like accelerating on the gas pedal from, from zero to, uh, to very, very fast at once. Because the people weren't really ready for it in yeah. a way. And that's, that, is, that is kind of, that, that concept of them not being completely ready for it is symbolized by the idea of them carrying the dough out on their shoulders because it hasn't, hadn't been leavened. They had to get out when they got out immediately. But in a way, they were still slaves to Pharaoh. They kept looking behind them. And we, and we even saw that when they, a week later when they got to the sea you know they were there was contention you know should we go back to egypt should we th- throw ourselves into the sea and, and give it up should we should we go back to serving pharaoh cuz they weren't really ready for the freedom of serving hashem yeah. of being able to be people to make choices and so and so he took them out anyway and it was with this tremendous divine light but there's this major principle that our sages teach which is that if if a person receives something that was undeserved then it's it can't be lasting it's not it's it can't it can't go into the person internally like a soul level acquisition because you have to work for something in order for it to be real right so the kabbalists call it bread of shame when a person yeah. receives something that was that was a undeserved gift so the, this is one of the secrets of the 49 days that we learn about the seven complete weeks in Leviticus 23, about the, the, the positive commandment of counting during these weeks, these 49 days, we're counting off these levels of a, a kind of uh, churning of the Spirit, a tremendous upheaval in our soul to try and deserve that light and to try to, to kind of like peel off layers of skin you know that are of dross that are blocking the light day day after day. You know the sfiro, the whole concept of the divine emanations, the attributes, the emotive attributes which we reflect in our behavior because we are created in Hashem's image, and how we can fix our issues, especially in our interpersonal relationships, and also in our in our relationships with ourselves, how we can fix them through mindfulness and through like a, making a conscious effort. That's the whole idea. The secret of, you know, the, the basic idea of counting the Omer is that we're excited about coming up to Shavuot because we're going to be standing at Mount Sinai on the Festival of Weeks and receiving Torah again. But the deeper idea of the counting of the Omer is that it's it's a workshop when we have the chance to really deal with all sorts of, of uh, different manifestations of, of, our, of our personality, really. Yeah. And so the, the sages speak about it in a very beautiful way, because like I say, every time of year is a different um, emphasis of what we can accomplish on a spiritual level during that time. And about these days of the Omer, they say, this is the time of clearing the rocks from the field. It's like the, these weeks are so fundamental for the development of the whole year, that when you want to plant something, first you have to clear away the rocks. Right. So that's kind of the uh, inner work that we're that we're doing during these foundational days of the of the counting of the omer and then there's this whole idea you know that the on the 16th of nisan the the beginning of the period of the omer omer means a measurement yeah, right? right and it's really talking it's a sheaf it's a certain a certain amount and it's really talking about the measurement of barley that was harvested and brought to the temple as an offering on the at the conclusion of the first day of passover and here again the sages emphasize on a very deep level what this represents. Because barley is, is called, in the language of the, of the sages, animal fodder. Yeah. Because it's, it's very basic animal food. It's not fit for human consumption in that state. And that's representative of the fact that when Israel left Egypt, they were on what's, what they refer to as this constricted level of consciousness. They basically were still slaves. You can take a slave out of slavery, but it doesn't mean you can take the slavery out of him. Yeah. You know, out of him. And so basically they were not ready to be free, upright people serving Hashem until those seven weeks and there were and every day was ascending level by level that's why when it comes to shavuot when we received the torah and we're already evolved as it were into upright men you know coming from the constricted baser animal consciousness as it were of slavery then on shavuot in the holy temple there's a very unique offering the twin loaves of wheat bread yeah. And it's the only time ever in the holy temple throughout the year that an offering of leaven is brought. Generally speaking, leaven is forbidden in the holy temple because of all the things that we learned about when we were learning about the matzah, that it represents haughtiness and a, you know, like a, a high uh, heart. But on Shavuot, that is not a danger because we are totally tempered by having received Torah. So I'm just saying, these seven weeks is a very beautiful spiritual process of. <clears throat> that I hope that we are all able to um, latch on to, you know, and, and avail ourselves of, because the, the, the concept that I mentioned earlier that when a person wants to purify and wants to become closer to Hashem, he receives heavenly aid. And that's exactly exemplified by these days of the Omer, when it's like the, 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 the days are so given over in a very raw way, in a core way. To spiritual advancement, that Hashem helps us during these days. Amen. And it's very fitting that all of this is on the is is um, parallel to the Torah portions that we're reading. You mentioned speech, and speech is probably the area that most of us um, have to work on the, the most. One of the areas that we have to work on the most, because we fall into patterns and we become completely unaware of <clears throat> the the um, the dangers of. Negative speech and the effect that it has on us, on other people, and according to Torah, on the whole world. But when you look at these two portions that we're reading this week—the double portions of Tazria and Metzora, beginning in Leviticus twelve—where do you see speech there, Jim? Um, the uh, I don't I don't think it's it's
1: uh, it, it has mentioned. to it has to it has to do well. It's uh, yeah. The commentaries uh, link the the uh, Zaharat
0: the, the, exactly. the, the source for it to be evil speech. It isn't mentioned at all. Right. It's, it, it, is, it is the cause of everything that of, of, the, of one of the majority topics that we're learning about in these two portions, which is this amazing idea of the infectious legions, lesions, mm-hmm. <laughs> not lesions, lesions that would affect the people of Israel. During, it would, by the way, it was, very, it was during a very specific time in history. It wasn't when they were traveling throughout the desert. It was after they settled in the land, right. during a very, very specific time. And so we're reading about this disease, which, again, talking about translations and the fallacy of translations, many people to this day translate this tzarat as leprosy. And that is so unfortunate because it's got nothing to do with the leprosy that was such a terrible scourge in the world. Because yeah. uh, it affects the house, times. even your dwelling. So, so it's 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 so unusual because it's it can affect a person in the skin, as Torah describes in tremendous details the the white and the green and mm-hmm. the different the different colors that m- could come in a person's skin, and the a bald patch and in a person's scalp. But it could also affect a person's garments. Yeah. And it could also appear in the walls of a person's house. This is not something that ever happened to anyone in world history other than to Israel and other than in this very, very specific period of time. And it was such a, uh, an amazing phenomenon with tremendous detail what, what it all means and, and what it's derived from and how it, how it worked and what that divine message was and that's something that I hope to go into in greater detail this week in, in, our, in our Torah portion. But, but one thing that I would really love to discuss with you is the why of it. Like Not, not so much the mechanics of these. They're called actually negaim. Mm-hmm. Nega means an affliction. So, so again, I, I hope we'll go into that in the video. But what I would like to speak to you about is why. And as you mentioned, it has something to do with speech. Yeah. So the person who is afflicted by this tsarat. Disease, which we won't say is leprosy, is, is is tsarat, right? A disorder. He's called a he's called mitzora. Yeah. And our and our sages tell us that that is literally a contraction of the expression Motsi shemra. Yeah. Which means basically for for a person to um, to speak libel. Right about another person, for a person to, to cause another person to have a bad name. Yeah, Shem being their a, name,
1: ra, e, evil.
0: Right, motzi, to take out, take like a ha- motzi lechem in har, right. to, who, who, who causes, yeah. who takes out, uh, publicly, as it were, a bad name for a person. And so the amazing idea that our, that our, our wise men talk about is that, in general, although this affliction was sometimes divinely visited upon a person as a punishment for a variety of shortcomings, by and large, this was a divine punishment. And punishment is absolutely the wrong word because it wasn't so much a punishment as it was a wake-up call, an indicator. It was actually an opportunity that was given to this person out of Hashem's love mm-hmm. to, to, to picture what he's been doing So it was was visited upon a person who spoke Lashon Hara. Right. Who spoke evil about another person because one of the stages of the purification, meaning, again, the spiritual realignment of the sufferer of this spiritual disease, this unusual... That's what it is, a spiritual disease. One of the stages is that he would have to go out of the camp. Right. Like Miriam. And so he would have to be... Sorry? Like Miriam. She... You know. Exa- exactly, That's what, That's what. that was the classic case mm-hmm. that's later on in Parshat Baalotcha in the Book of Numbers, and the idea is that when this person spoke bad about another person he caused them to be ostracized mm-hmm. he caused them to be isolated from the community he caused them to be um, uh, to, to, to feel vulnerable and alone, and so part of his rectification is going to be going through that in a way that he will understand what How terrible! How awesomely powerful evil speech is, and and this whole topic is so amazing for us to be discussing because this is that's why I say like it's universal. It's for all of us. It's for Jews. It's for B'nai Noach. It's for everyone. You know, to try and become more sensitive to the power of speech because it's something that in the world that we live in today is so totally um, disregarded. As to be as to be thought of as being not only completely permissible, but on the contrary, you know, the, the sharper that you can be, the quicker that you can be on the draw, the more um, acerbic you can be with a comment, with a tweet, with you know, with a post, then the cooler you are. Yeah. And so you, everybody builds themselves up based on <clears throat> defaming another person, putting another person down. It's like, what? That's wrong. And not only that. But in general, the 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 situation has become that we're so mindless, as it were. Mm-hmm. I know later you want to talk about artificial intelligence. We're practically artificial intelligence as it is yeah. now, because we've become so mindless that that people don't even know how to communicate anymore. You know, so so it's all through it's all through text and it's all through messages and it's and there is what was that sign I saw in a in a cafe? One of those famous restaurant signs pretend pretend like it's oh oh it said we have no Wi-Fi here pretend that it's 1990 and talk to each other right I
1: saw I saw that just yesterday by the way I, I ran ac- I really? ran across that but I mean this is the, the idea even when you think about Miriam who was a prophetess, this is the sister of Moses and who who, who led the people in, in, in the song at the sea. This is. This shows you that someone of that level could fall prey to lashon hara. Shows you how it, how it's uh, you know it touch it touches everyone. It's it's one of the. I was reading a commentary where the the sages talked about the sort of imaginary conversation between the creator and and the mouth and 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 Hashem telling the tongue. Well, you know I I put two walls around you and. Covered you with bone and everything, just to keep you uh, from from you know giving out with these terrible things. And it it uh, I'm I'm saying that in a way to first of all sort of remind people that look we're all in this together. We're we're all dealing with this phenomena. And I I, and I I'm not the first person to say this, but you know I if you spend any time on Twitter, which I think is the worst one of all. Uh, is that you will come away very depressed at at the facility that people have for really saying terrible things about other people?
0: And that is this is prophecy in action. Mm-hmm. This is this is the the the, the this parsha is the Torah's uh, predictive programming from the beginning of creation, and I'll tell you why. Because, because the person who has to come to, to purify himself, to realign himself spiritually from this experience, has to bring two birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Twitter. The, and the birds, yeah. and, and, and the sages say, why birds? Because this person chirped like a bird. No. Without thinking, just chirp, 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 like a bird. And so his and his kapara, his atonement, again, his process of realignment, his offering, his birds. And what is it called? It's called a tweet. Yeah. Yeah. So in other the the world's leading platform in lashon hara, was foreseen by the Torah. Yeah. And whoever named it uh, Twitter knew exactly what they were doing, or not. Yeah. But it's it's pretty it's pretty uncanny. Yeah. But what I, what I would love to do, because so again, where, where we're going with this is that the, the back story of the major topic of these two Torah portions, Tazriya Mazzara, Mazzara, is this amazing, unprecedented, unusual spiritual disease called Sarat, which our sages teach us, is visited upon a person uh, who's in, who engages in evil speech and so that's that's this opportunity that we have now to kind of speak about this a, a lot because it's so needed and it's so misunderstood. The first thing that we need to talk about is the fact that people think that you know it, what's wrong with what i said? It's true. Yeah. You know, lashon hara, which literally means evil speech is a is a broad expression that that generally refers to it's just saying negative things. People assume that it's about say, saying 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 lies, but the truth is, it's about saying negative truths. Mm-hmm. And so, what is a negative truth? I, w- I want to define that. There are there are various commandments regarding lashon hara. We recall, for, right? Like for example, in um, Leviticus nineteen fifteen, the Torah says, "Do not go about as a talebearer among your people." So that's a basic prohibition against speaking lashon hara, but that's talking about a particular type of of evil speech called ruchilut, which is tail bearing. So tail is basically gossip. Yeah, that is gossip, right? However, uh, that's that's not a lie, right? There is there is a concept of of lying. Lying is when you make something up, but lashon hara, evil speech, is not necessarily, and in, in fact, usually not at all, uh, a lie. It's usually true. But the problem is that it, it can damage a person. And like so many other things about these Torah portions that we are studying, Torah is beckoning to us to develop ultimate sensitivity to other people. And so what this is really all about is it's about um, defaming a person or causing a person any sort of damage whatsoever that if it would be, and this is actually a, a, the, the definition of the Rambam. He gives us, what, what is Lashon Hara? It's something that if it would be publicized, it would somehow cause the subject of the, of the speech some sort of damage or cause him anguish or cause him fear. Or destroy his and, and, livelihood, uh, which is why
1: all these things, why Lashon Hara is akin to murder. Because you're you're murdering someone's reputation, and their 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 livelihood, and, and we've seen we have you know it, it, there was a there was a point in time when I read that I thought well that's a kind of a stretch, and yet we have seen thanks to uh, social media now that if a particular person uh, says the wrong thing or what is considered to be inappropriate, they will they will cancel canceling people. The cancel culture is to me, the preeminent example of how you've, you've murdered someone's reputation because there are people who've literally lost their businesses and their livelihoods over evil speech. Restaurants, cafes, people who, you know, who, who uh, entertainers, who are accused of saying something inappropriate and the, 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 woke, the woke mob basically acts as judge, jury, and executioner and and ruins their life. And that, that to me, is a prime example. And, you know, the thing is, when, when, we, when we show, when we look at this Torah Parsha and we see that, that, that speaking like this literally causes physical manifestations, it really brings home the idea that the power of life and death really is in the tongue primary right. yeah,
0: and and ahead. again, it, it's confusing to people because because you know there's different categories that we're, that are we're talking about under the broad umbrella of lashon hara, which means evil speech. Obviously, there's lying, and obviously there is is bearing, uh, which is basically making something up about a person. Then there's gossip, which is just destructive, you know, again like uh, chatter ab- about a person, but. The the thing that people need to understand is that when someone says something about another person, even if it's true, if it in any way includes any sort of derogatory description, or in any way can can harm that person, even again, even if it's factual, uh, it's it is still absolutely forbidden. And not only is it forbidden for the person to speak, it's forbidden for the uh, for another person who hears it to to, to it. accept it, yeah, to believe it that that person is is forbidden from letting that influence them or 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 allowing it to come into their hearts and it's so amazing you know this whole topic is a serious area of Torah study yeah a very very serious area of halakha of Jewish law it was really made most famous in in modern times by a very saintly sage who uh, lived in uh Poland before the second World War he was actually born in 19 in 1838 and passed away in 1933 and I refer so, I refer of course to the holy Chaim. Yeah, his name was was more sure oh, everybody is, thank you his
1: book and this is an excellent this is an amazing book and and it really it's like a uh, you're familiar with the book, anyway, Rabbi. But for our, our audience, it is. See, this says day 35. This is actually a sort of workbook for your life and, and how to deal every day with Lashon Hara and all of its permutations, because there, there, it's in a way, it's it's uh, it's startling when you when you have to when you're confronted with all of the aspects of Lashon Hara that we are we're not even conscious of. Uh, and and of course we're we're talking about them right now, but he he addresses this and it helps you through this process. He was a,
0: an absolutely amazing person, seriously holy. Yeah. And in addition to being a, a foremost expert uh, and scholar in other areas of Torah, he really brought this whole topic to the people, and it was it was kind of like his life's work. Uh, his name was Yisrael Mer Kagan, but he was known by the title of his most famous work, which is called Chafei Chaim, which means Who Desires to Live. Yeah. So that's one book that he wrote. He wrote another book called Shmirat HaLashon, which basically means Guard Your Tongue. And as you just pointed out, that's a great book. And there's a number of books that have been translated into English that are also kind of like workbook style, self-help, a, a spiritual kind of guides for working on these topics. And, uh, and I know that many, many are available. It's, a, it's a, such an important area for people to invest in and to learn about. And so the name of his book, actually, he took from a verse in Psalms. It is um, Psalms 34. And in Psalms 34 we read, Who is the man who desires life, who loves days of seeing good? Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So that expression, Mi ha'ish ha'chavitz who is the man who wants to live, is the, um, the source of, the, of the, the title of his most famous work on this subject. And again, there, the complexity of of a person of, of these laws for a person who really wants to take it seriously and really wants to do good in Hashem's eyes, it's way beyond the scope of our podcast because, for example, there are times when it may be permissible for another person to say something about another person if it might mean saving that person from some sort of calamity or from some sort of financial distress or warning them about someone who is a potential danger. This topic has so many, um, um, repercussions and ramifications in everyday life you know like a in the jewish world for example when a when a a young man and a, and a young lady are going out and they're dating and they're considering you know do they are they are they uh they're exploring the 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 possibility that they're that they want to become engaged so what if somebody knows something about something about that other person or their family, that maybe it's a reason for them to, maybe something that they're hiding, or maybe not, and should should they be told, what if somebody is about to enter into a business deal with another person? And I once heard about that person that maybe he's not so straight and that maybe he's a little bit shady in his business deal. Should I say something? Shouldn't I, Should I not say something? Because, you know, do I have the right to do that? I might be causing that person terrible damage. If it's not true, how do I know? So there's all sorts of guidelines that, that the saintly Chavitz Chaim ha has uh, written about in these things it's it's so interesting because when you really read his books and you see that tremendous amount of of um detail in every word that comes out of a person's mouth so you must you would think wow, he must have not said anything <laughs> he must have not he must yeah. have been like, he must have been like whoa and that's not true so that so the story is about about his home and about you know his Shabbat table and and his uh, uh, congeniality and his and his uh, you know uh, having guests in his home, he s- he spoke a great deal and every single word was perfect. He, and he and he never allowed any other kind of conversation at his table. In fact, it said that that's why he spoke a great deal so that no one would get a chance to say anything else, you know, no. when he was around. So he was he was very cognizant of the of the uh, the problems that people face. Yeah. and then there's so many stories in in. Um, in tradition, about the great tzaddikim, who, who um, they were so sensitive to this idea that they simply were not able to hear when someone said something that was in any way unseemly. It didn't go in. Yeah. Like it just, you know, it did. They uh, they actually didn't hear it. Hashem like protected them. And then there's also the idea that that's what the lobe of the ear is for. The lobe, right. you know, like it's very convenient and the right size so that you can kind of stuff it into your ear. Yeah,
1: well, you know, the whole, you know, what's interesting is when you look at it from a legal aspect, it really is the basis for a, uh, a judicial system which is fair because how many, how many people do we hear about today in the news where we or the media or the, the accusers give them the benefit of the doubt? You know, people people often you know we, people often forget. Carol told me an amazing story once. She was called in for jury duty, and uh, Carol's a very fair person. I mean, I this is you know I th- thank Hashem often because uh, she she's very even handed, and and this is the way she thinks. She tries to balance things, and she was asked the the lawyer. You know, the lawyer was going to qualify. The defense lawyer was going to qualify her. To stand jury duty, and and she said he, he asked her he said um, if if I have a scale in front of you uh, how will you judge my client where where would you put the your your pointer on the scale and she said oh well I would be very fair I would my I would put the pointer right in the middle and he said okay uh, she's disqualified as far as I'm concerned and. She said, and she asked, she said, I, pardon me, can I ask why isn't that? He said, you are, compl-, he said, it, there has to be, uh, there has to be in your mind, no hint of any guilt whatsoever. You are completely innocent <clears throat> until proven guilty. And really, that is a, that is a standard that we should apply to everybody, that, that that all of our friends, our neighbors, the the, the people in, in our 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 sphere of influence, friends, neighbors, enemies, whatever that they are that in our mind they are completely innocent until proven
0: guilty, and we don't see that today, right? And again, I I I'm frustrated because this topic is so holy and so important and so kind of like trodden on, especially again as we've been talking about that we're absolutely conditioned. To be to be desensitized to people through the through the the forms of communication that are basically uh, well what people choose what people choose today it, it, and and go ahead I don't
1: know if you're ready to talk about this or not because it's you know I don't want to derail the program and make one topic you know heavier than the other but I mean you're really in in some ways you're alluding to something that's been in the in the news a lot lately and that is the idea of artificial intelligence. And and you and I talked about this, this is looming, and people are actually talking about there are dangers inherent in it, and maybe we should put the brakes on, on artificial intelligence and developing it even further, because it seems to almost be developing itself in, in, in some scary fashion. And Becoming a, a sentient,
0: a what is the word, sentient? S- sentient, being? sentient. It's becoming sentient. Sentient, sentient on its
1: own. And uh, the idea being is that Lashon Hara, evil speech, tale-bearing, uh gossip is a form that could be used. Uh, you know, misinformation is a kind of Lashon Hara. So AI could traffic in that in a way that it can be it could even be controlled if we give over so much of our our efforts to communicate with one another to a computer and if and if our source information is a chat gpt or another one of these programs and we think well okay now i know the truth i got it from a computer it must right. be the truth we have we have that idea inherent and it really is I think we, we discussed the idea that, you know, it could be this idea of Lashon this, this and what do we say that impurity really is? It's full of dross, and that's what misinformation is, right? What's the old saying from propaganda, uh, from, from the propagandists of, from the Nazi era that, uh, I don't know if it started there, but the idea was is that you, you always, uh, propaganda was always more effective if it had a little bit of truth embedded in it. And the rest is 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 the misinformation,
0: and, right? And that again is Before the security of speech or
1: lack thereof. Right.
0: I I just want to mention to our listeners and viewers that this topic is is broad and extremely important. And I I would urge everyone to go online and look for some uh, English Judaica books about. Uh, Proper speech. There's guard your tongue. There's. Could you hold up your book again, Jim? Oh yeah. This is. uh, What's it uh, called? It's called Purity of Speech,
1: and it is a. um, Everybody can see it out there. Like I said, it's like a diary. It's like a workbook. You know, you you day day twenty eight, day fifty one, and it actually, uh, Rabbi, it covers all these permutations of what is considered proper and, and, and uh, proper speech, and, and how to deal with these challenges. You know, ooh, uh, I just heard someone might be in, in trouble uh, from someone who's on their way over there to see them. You know, how do I deal with that? You know, if I pick up the phone and call someone and warn them, is that tail-bearing? And the Hofitzheim
0: right. guides you through this sort of minefield. And these are really beautiful and intense books, and it's just again so important because people lose track of the sanctity of speech and the power of speech and and uh, what Hashem expects from us. So it's a, a very worthy endeavor. Um, I just want to um, I I want to segue into that fascinating um, area of um, AI, but before that, I just want to repeat to you something that I know we mentioned once together, but I want to I want to cap this um, se- this uh, session of the Lashon Hara. Off with this, um, with this idea, and it's from the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzzatto. This very beautiful idea, where he's explaining about the principle of um, Hashem's reciprocal uh, reaction, as it were, to us, and how and, and how it works. You know that uh, that uh, the cause and effect that we that we bring ourselves that we bring upon ourselves consequences of our actions, as opposed to calling it punishment. And he he gives this amazing and startling case where he talks about a a person who passes on to the next world and passes on to the next world and there's a judgment in the next world of every soul. And, uh, you know, the soul comes before Hashem's uh, judgment and there is a, uh, uh, what is the word, an advocate, you know, a... a, um, a, um, there's a prosecutor and there is a defense attorney, defense right? Attorney, yeah, right, yeah, right. So, so uh, the defense attorney for every soul comes with, uh, hopefully, big stacks of portfolios of all the wonderful things that the the person the person did in the world. You know, spread it spread it out before Hashem, as it were, in the metaphor, and and uh, all every good deed that a person did in this world comes as a testimony, as a as a as a um, a merit for that person. But then hmm. there's also an accuser, the DA. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the accuser comes prosecutor, in and yeah. Uh, he... Yeah, the prosecutor, the prosecutor. And the prosecutor also has a, a case book with all sorts of things, right? Uh, against the person, and then Hashem has to make a judgment based on the evidence. And so uh, the Ramchal teaches us that what happens is this. If this person did not speak Lashon Hara, this is one of the most startling uh, lessons that you can imagine, right? You have this person, and he wasn't the greatest person in the world. He wasn't the, so what we call, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> he didn't do everything perfectly, you know. He wasn't the Mr. Perfect, but he was very careful not to speak about other people. So what happens is, is that when the accuser comes in with all sorts of, of uh, things that the person did, you know, that are not so good, you know, Hashem says to the accuser, no, I don't want to hear from you, quiet, don't open your mouth. Why? Because he didn't speak. So if he didn't speak, you can't speak. Mm. And that is the law of uh, reciprocity. Mm-hmm. But if the person did, <coughs> on, the, on the converse, if the person did all kinds of wonderful things in this world, all kinds of mitzvot, all kinds of good deeds, but he wasn't so careful about lashon hara, And he spoke about other people. So then when the accuser comes with his evidence, and then after the defense attorney gave all his beautiful testimony about what a wonderful fellow he was, the accuser comes in and Hashem says, now it's your turn. Why? Because if he spoke, you can speak. But if he didn't speak, then you can't speak. So I think the sages are are, um, showing us the incredible power of Speech that it's not, it's something that <clears throat> makes an indelible imprint on our soul, and it's considered to be so detrimental that it will influence the 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 reward of a person yeah. because it's so destructive. Well, that's why I think that's why I think this this conversation about uh,
1: the the uh, purity of speech and and speech that carries truth to it and and is motivated by love is so powerful in connection to the rise of artificial intelligence because even the the one that is dominating the news lately listen to it it's called chat gpt it's all about it's based on it's based on algorithms that were that were developed for speech uh and and literally communicating with a computer
0: so isn't this something now that's available on on the, the google play store and anybody can download it uh, free? I, I think it is. I think it's it's in beta
1: testing, so anybody can try it. Anybody can use it. I haven't used Chat GPT because I I have. Here we go. You know, am I am I making Lashon Hurrah against the computer software when I say that uh, it, it's been it's been warned that it's it can be used to can uh, for su- surveillance. All of your questions right. are going into a data bank. but you have tried some, you have tried it in one form because I don't know anybody I have, at all I have that's tried, tried it. So you're tried, the only
0: person that I've I tried two that forms. I know that's
1: actually tried it. I've tried two forms and the danger the, the big danger and, and one of the big dangers is that same uh, the same uh, method that is used uh, in Chat GPT, the same methodology that is it's, it's called machine learning. And and uh, I've I've tried out two versions of it. One is the idea of uh, creating images, and this is the, this is really dangerous because you can take it and you can uh, someone who is again we talked about propaganda, which is a, definitely a form of, of lashon hara. You can type in a person. Uh, uh, you can say, um, show me uh, President so and so. Uh, ca- caught in the act of stealing bananas or something. I'm being very glib about it. And it will literally draw from all of the imagery that is available online over the entire Internet. It's like walking into a vast library and taking images and, and putting them together and pasting them together and creating an image. And my... my uh, uh, my trial with it was was one particular program, and I wanted to create an image of, the, uh, of, of all the people leaving Egypt. And, th- and I used a very low-end form of it, and it was uncanny. I typed in, um, uh, create a picture of uh, the Israelite people leaving like an army, marching out of Egypt past the pyramids. And it created, this, it created this image of what it thought Israelite should look like, and it was not very accurate. And the pyramids were in the background, and they were in rows, like 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 a, an army. And um, and then you you can go in and you can refine it and repose that you can add something else to this verbal mix. And it treats. It How
0: long did it take that image to, to you know to respond? Ten seconds or less. See, Jim, this bores me very much. Oh, it should. This this, should. this whole thing. I mean, uh, because I I don't want it in my house. Yeah. I don't want it in
1: my house. The, the thing is, I, I, I this reminds me in the seventies. In the seventies, the uh, I saw a movie called uh, Colossus: The Forbin Project, and I know some of the listeners that are older remember this picture, and it's still available. You can see it today. It was made in the seventies. And Forbin was the name of the, of the character who created the, the computer. And what happened is, is he creates this supercomputer because they, they decide, this is, and this is where they got it wrong, they decide, the people that j- created this giant supercomputer, they decided that we needed something dispassionate to handle mm-hmm. our weaponry and our, our ballistic missile system. Our nuclear missiles, and let's put them under the purview of this supercomputer, so that we won't make emotional choices and launch bombs. It turned out that the that the Soviets had done the same thing, and so what happens is when they turn on the key on this thing, they uh, it immediately asks it immediately learns through through circuitry all over the world that this other computer exists, and it demands to be joined with it. And if it doesn't, it will launch a nuclear missile on a on on a city. And so what happens is is that it joins the other computer, and then in this this computer that's supposed to, it's supposed to be concerned for mankind, literally becomes this becomes this super dictator using AI. This is back in the 70s, and I remember thinking at the time, Rabbi, I thought, well, that'll never happen. That can't work because because in this movie, there are surveillance cameras everywhere, and that's never going to happen. Right? Boy, was I wrong.
0: So uh, you know, from the less severe to the more severe, like my, my reasons for wanting nothing to do with this whatsoever is first of all, I think that all of these programs are probably must must certainly be um, according to a certain agenda. Mm-hmm. So a certain according to a certain ideology which is what the those that are in control want everybody to follow those patterns of thought and assumptions and conclusions number 2 like you say it's certainly uh, something that would be gathering information from every person who asks it a question right mm-hmm. And, and number three, though, I think the thing that bothers me the most, which I find most most chilling about this, because I'm reading that people are using it to, to write PhDs yeah. and for all sorts of things. I mean, it's like basically this this um, insidious plot by those that are already controlling so much about our lives, so much about our lives, to get people to stop thinking on their own altogether. Exactly. Like why, why would you have to think about anything anymore? It's 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 enough that we have Google and, and, and what's her name, Alexa, and all this kind of thing. But if we have this, it can do all of your thinking for you, complete, and better than you could do it anyway. Right. But now, this past week, it's funny that you mentioned this this AI thing now because the past week I actually saw no less than four articles in different publications about the danger of AI, and one was an interview with uh, Elon Musk, and another was something from Popular Mechanics, different headlines, that that AI can um, potentially destroy civilization, destroy humanity. Yeah. And there was one particular article about someone with some sort of independent AI program who gave, who tasked it with destroying humanity to see what would happen. Mm-hmm and And the thing went and built up like a Twitter following. That was the first thing that it did. <laughs> but it, it apparently, like it was mapping out like all the different nuclear resources and and uh, and and like taking it very, very seriously. yeah
1: well, there I, I, I compiled because I, I I thought we were going to talk about this today. I compiled a list of what what many uh, influencers in this realm. So they they were speaking of the the dangers. And it's not just one or two. it's It's a list that includes this. Uh, the first the first one, and, and and considered actually the least of all the evil, is job losses due to AI taking over uh, jobs that a lot of a lot of writers are looking over their shoulder. In the news business, because these people are, they consider they can take that. So, number two, social ma- manipulation through AI algorithms. And uh, this is this is actually falling prey to things like the visual version of this, the deep fakes, where you have someone with uh, Tom Cruise's face doing something that Tom Cruise would never do, or anybody's face, and, and it looks real and uh it and makes, what
0: about something like like election manipulation that, that possibly has is, already
1: happened you you've you've anticipated me right there uh social surveillance with ai technology biases are built in due to ai this is what you spoke about a moment ago is is creating a software or an algorithm that that has
0: particular biases, so that we—it has you, a particular ideology, ideology. that is supposed to somehow Ex- surreptitiously, you know, like kind of take over your th- your thinking. Yeah.
1: Here's the end of the world scenario: autonomous weapons powered by AI, and this is the idea that the the weaponry can actually, um, in this arms race that we're still facing every day, that we turn so much over to a computer that the computer decides that you know that maybe it's it's time to to bring peace to the table and it, and it decides on its own a financial crisis could be created by AI and and you have to wonder is like has some of this happened already and I have to tell you the the uh, these are some of the many downsides so I got even more curious I thought well what about in the in the realm of Torah
0: you know. So before you say anything, I yes, just want to say sure. that I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. And I'm not the greatest rabbi, but to me personally, yeah. in my opinion, none of this is kosher. Yeah, And I think that this is like the opposite of the proper um, relationship between body and soul and the proper Torah mindset of sensitivity to to the divine spark that we have and our own uh, ability to create, I, I think. I think this is like really absolutely heinous. Mm. That that's my opinion. No, and I agree, so what happens if I agree is with there an AI rabbi? Yeah, I,
1: I want to tell you, I agree. With, reason I agree with you is because long ago, I remember reading an apocryphal work about the about the fallen uh, the fallen ones, the the watchers as as they're called, and, and this is supposed to be the 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 Nephilim and how they came to Earth and. You know, God, uh, it, it's probably heavily allegorical, but there is a, a case where, on a lower level, this thing happened uh, be, between a community of, of, of God's uh, children, you know, his, the people of Seth, by the way. But on, a, on another level, there's this idea that these these uh, angels decided to, uh, they, they were allowed to come into t- the earth in, in, in physical form, and it talked about all the things that they created that that uh, uh, diminished mankind, and one of the things it says, and it named this angel, and it said, and so and so created writing, and I remember thinking at the time, like, how is that evil? You know, and of course this is like before the flood we're talking about, and then I thought about it as I looked down at my at, at my um, my calculator that I had in my hand, and I I remembered how. Badly, I'd gotten at math because I kept leaning on the calculator to do to do you know my math, and so the idea being is that by by taking by creating writing, the the man mankind before the flood must have had we talk about you know the sages talk about how enormously intelligent they were, and how they they used all of their brain capacity but writing became a became origin before the flood became a kind of crutch well i don't have to remember anything now and i can just write it down writing was created and it and it literally diminished that application of the people bef- before the flood must have had photographic memories and so would you, I'm talking about this is the same thing that you just said. It basically takes away the facility. It's called machine learning, and we stop learning when we start depending on this stuff. And by the way, it's very addictive. And I, I found this one. I was ta- wondering about, you know, how is this going to interplay with Torah? And the reason I was interested in that was because uh, the Jerusalem Post had a story about an, about an uh, observant rabbi who tried it out to see what it was like. And he took it and he, the next uh next Shabbat, he he read the sermon to his audience and he asked them, he said, Who do you think that who wrote this? A lot of them thought it was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. That's how good it was. And then he told them this was created by an art of artificial intelligence program. And it was his idea of, of driving home the idea that this is how insidious this can be. So anyway, I found online and I'm not. I'm not making judgment. I'm not saying this is insidious. Maybe if we just always look at it and, and look at it as a tool, a tool that can be turned off, and 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 we're not depending on it. It's called the world's most. This is how it's actually called on on the web. The site is called the world's most powerful artificially intelligent rabbi. And you can ask it questions. It's free access. I resent that. Huh. I, I, I resent that. See, it's taking away your job. It says free access to high-level Torah, Halakha, and life answers anytime, anywhere, and it is created from an Orthodox rabbinical point of view. So I began to ask it questions. I would type in a question, and uh, it got some of the questions half right. And this is the danger. What if someone was like me, but didn't didn't study Torah and was curious? and and th- well this is the most powerful artificial intelligent rabbi i can ask it about what's uh, what what's acceptable in the Noahide laws what's acceptable what if i'm a new what if i'm a newly converted jew and i want to find out what's acceptable you you might get some wrong answers and of course there's a the disclaimer at the bottom that says sometimes the rabbi can be wrong and in my case i said i ask a question about the, is- the israelites in egypt and the answer contained this response within this long answer. The answer came s- 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 something, something. And then the 430 years that Israel was enslaved in Egypt. So I immediately wrote and said, but Rabbi, you said the <sighs> uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years when you know that they were only there 210 years every Every school kid, I wrote that like that, and the immediate answer was, and this was frightening to me, you're correct. They were there only 210 years, and I thought, wow. I mean, it was like, and you know what, Rabbi, I asked, the, I asked these questions, and I got like a page-length response. The responses came in less time than it would have taken me to
0: write that response, but Jim, I, I think this is so disturbing because the whole concept of, a, of the transmission of Torah knowledge is from person to person. Exactly. With heart and soul. And uh, when the teacher speaks and the, and, the, and the student asks a question and they together refine the topic and, and deepen their understanding, there's something very alien about all of this. And and uh, and I'm not surprised that we came that we would come to this because no. that this is this is uh, what happens when society altogether all around becomes so totally mechanized. Mm-hmm. Then we lose sight of again of the of the human of the human uh, element altogether. And I, and that's I think on the, in, a, in a nutshell if I'm able to just try to try to define myself and and uh, you know what I'm feeling exactly. I think I think that this is like absolutely divesting the human element from from everything. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, you know, it's not the, the, you know, we all, I think our audience knows that you cannot divorce the oral Torah from the written Torah. And it's not called the oral Torah for, for nothing. It literally means to interact with a living human being and all of the nuances and all of the, 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 the judgments that, that your teacher, your rabbi who's teaching you can make, as they're teaching you, they're seeing whether you're understanding it. They're sensitive to whether you're, you're actually, and, and you know, the oral tradition is a major element. And look at Devarim, Deuteronomy tells us, you shall teach diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That's a commandment, right, Rabbi? You know, and, and uh, in the proverb says, My son, don't forget my teaching, let your heart keep my commandments. And in Pekar Vote, it says, make yourself a teacher, acquire yourself a friend. So we're we're enjoying constantly that of, of that that vital dynamic of a living, breathing human being. Uh, who who can make these these nanosecond decisions about how they need to, um, you know,
0: respond to something that you ask? You but know. The, this this AI thing bothers me to no end. Not only in the realm of Torah, but in everything, in everything altogether, in every in every area of society, people um, becoming dependent on this. And there's a famous story of one of the great rabbis in America from like 70 years ago was traveling on a highway with it. a young man was driving him and they came to a a toll booth Um 60, 70 years ago and there was a, a a toll booth that was automated you know that you that you would throw a quarter into like in the early 60s that's not 70 years around around their mm-hmm. late 50s early 60s you'd throw a quarter into it or there was a person and so the driver started driving the rabbi's car in, to the to the coin operator one, because it was quicker, yeah. And there was a long a line at the one with the person. And the rabbi said, "Don't ever do that. Never, never, um, in, you know, bypass a human being for a machine." Amen. Yeah. And that, and I remember that it made a big impression on me. Like, if you have an opportunity to to deal with a person or deal with a machine, you have to deal with a person because a person is created in the image of God. You have to show honor to a, to a human being. Yeah. Well,
1: that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea of of. Uh, uh, our our existence and and our growth as a human being and as an individual is God has created each of us to impact each other. We grow through our interaction with our fellow right. human beings, and and right. by this 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 uh, software is distancing us from interaction with each other. Right. It's divorcing us from human contact. And it's Jim. This all actually much... leads me to I'm sorry. Leads me to something I, I, I want to. No, I'm 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 uh, I'm running off with the mouth. Speaking of being human, <laughs> go ahead.
0: This all leads me to uh, to something I, I just wanted to mention uh, that I wanted our our audience to be aware of uh, here in in Israel this week. Tuesday, April 18th is Holocaust from Memorial Day, yeah. Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is an extremely important day for the nation of Israel. And with every year that goes by, speaking about the evils of a mechanized society, speaking about insensit- insensitivity to the divine image, speaking about um, destruction, as every generation that grows further away in time from those years of World War II, um, the, the memory dims, but worse than that, there is, there is a plague of sheer ignorance uh, of of a t- total lack of understanding and knowledge of what really happened, and then and that ignorance fans the flames of Holocaust denial. And what's more is that, is that that generation is is, uh, is leaving the world. There are, there are only so many survivors left that are able to give eyewitness testimony about mm-hmm. what happens. And at the same time, you have another uh, item that I'm sure you've read about in the news, uh, and that is that there are various European nations that... Uh, whose people played a prominent role in the destruction of European Jewry who were, uh, who were uh, aiding and abetting and, and in partnership with the Nazis. And these countries today, like Poland, uh, you're not even allowed to say that. It's a, it's a crime in Poland to in, insinuate that any Poles were involved Right in uh, in in murdering the Jews and any anybody who has any relatives at all that went through the Holocaust knows exactly what the what the Poles were like. I'm not saying that there weren't weren't any righteous Gentiles. There were there were people in Poland also that tried to save the Jews, but by and large, uh, the Polish peasantry uh, was horrible to the Jews. Yeah, and uh, there are European nations that are revising their history completely. That are. Uh, that are in total denial and that are changing that changing their history as to the as to their roles and that takes us to to even uh, more far-reaching uh, uh, conversations about about the Roosevelt administration and the position of the state department at the time and, and what America did know and when they knew it and yeah. what they could have done the role of the catholic church and all sorts of issues that are unresolved and uh, and the fact is that nothing in history compares to the Holocaust, and therefore attempts that are made to to trivialize that and to compare it to other things are are absolutely obscene. Yeah. So it's an it's an important um, day for the Jewish people, and I think for the world, especially in the light of everything that we're discussing, the direction that humanity seems to be taking.
1: Yeah, and and uh, the 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 whole. You could even look at the Holocaust, and it was. Uh, it was driven by lashon hara. It was driven ab- ab- about uh, lies against the Jewish people. You know the, the idea that you were taking over the world, and you know the the protocols of the elders of Zion. I mean that that publication itself is lashon hara. You know embodied in print. So I, what God is reminding us today with with this Torah Parsha is that that is the ultimate. Um, uh, horrible end to rapid lashon hara is that it results in the deaths of millions of people. That's the—I mean—that's the bottom line. And that is that is on the rise again today. Th- these these old old lies about the Jewish community uh, are are being are being churned up and spewed out again, and. Uh, so we, we
0: Let us bless uh, our listeners and viewers with a beautiful week um, this coming month that will be ushered in on Friday and Shabbat. Uh, the end of this week is the month of Iyar, er, is a month of healing. Let's hope to heaven for a lot of healing for ourselves, for all of the world, and something that we'll speak about more next week, I'm sure. Hope everyone is uh, counting the Omer and working on all of these beautiful... Uh, attributes that we have the opportunity to address during these important foundational days of spiritual growth. Jim, I wish you a wonderful week and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.